G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. You might be aware of the ministry of Open Doors, serving the persecuted church around the world. Well, one in seven Christians worldwide are persecuted for their faith. That equates to more than 360 million Christians suffering under high levels of persecution. So the problem of persecution is not going away anytime soon. In more than 70 nations, Christians are denied access to jobs and education and excluded from aid and community resources. Many persecuted Christians are attacked and abused. Their churches are demolished and their businesses destroyed. Well, this week, Australians have an opportunity to meet the international CEO of Open Doors as he visits our shores. Dan Oleshani leads the international operation of Open Doors from headquarters in the Netherlands. And our absolute privilege to have him as our special guest today. Dan, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you. Very good to be here. Dan, let us in on why you are here in Australia. I've never visited Australia since I joined Open Doors about five years ago, and it wasn't by any deliberate intent. Uh, It was just a matter of opportunity. So I'm really here to connect with our team here, uh, build and forge stronger relationships, and also share uh, about what is happening with persecuted Christians. Now, you were born in Kenya. Uh, These days, you live in the Netherlands. Is the Netherlands the home base, you might say, the headquarters for Open Doors globally? I live in the Netherlands uh, in a city called Utrecht. And the reason why I'm there is because that's where Brother Andrew's office was uh, in a town called Hardewijk. And our, our office is at my office in that same town. Um, and so that is a reason I'm there. And of course, uh, we're all still a little heavy hearted uh, with the loss of Brother Andrew just recently. I wonder if you've got a reflection on him. Obviously, you knew him personally. You know the history well. Uh, he is a big loss to the world, isn't he? Indeed, indeed he is, but he is very happy in heaven uh, where he joined his dear wife, Corey, who preceded him by a few years. Uh, Brother Andrew is, was an amazing man in the sense that he was able to be humble despite the fame that he attracted, not deliberately, I should say, but just because of the way he was able to explain the ministry uh, and it made sense to so many. Uh, I know he was mainly known as a you know, God smuggler because of his first book that he published. Uh, but in my interaction with Brother Andrew, I found him to be unfailingly reverent towards the Lord, deeply devoted to him, very committed to encouraging persecuted Christians, and very prayerful. Right up to the time he left this world, He always had a list of prayers that he prayed over. 
I wonder if you've got any insight into those prayers that he might have prayed. And interesting to be talking to you who, as you've assumed that mantle, and uh, this is on your heart and you're across a lot of the details. I mentioned there's an a huge number of Christians who are persecuted around the world. And I know that listeners might be even interested into what sort of things that would have been on the heart of someone like Brother Andrew and that might actually have been passed on uh, to you in your own prayer life. And uh, this might be a sort of an unusual way to take a conversation, but I wonder whether you've got a thought or two for listeners about what it is that really is a burden for you in your own prayer time. Well, Brother Andrew was deeply committed to encouraging and strengthening persecuted Christians and primarily by providing the Word of God, the Bible. And so the Bible was central to his life. As a matter of fact, when I would visit him, he unfailingly would show me one of hundreds of Bibles that were on his bookshelf. He particularly picked out the Ethiopian Bible written in Amharic, uh, Ethiopian language, a very small leather-bound ancient Bible so the Word of God, Neil, was central to his life. And, uh, and actually, one of our Open Doors core values says we are people of the Bible. So it means in our work life in Open Doors, we meditate on the scriptures, we live by the scriptures. We also promote the distribution of Bibles to people who don't have them. So if I could end by telling you how his life impacted mine, uh, when I joined Open Doors, I actually changed the way I prayed. And so I now have a seven-day personal prayer calendar. And on it, I pray for two countries on the World Watch list. So I cover 14, the 14 top countries on the World Watch list. That's every week. And uh, that's a wonderful discipline to have, uh, to be making that a part of your prayer commitment. Hey, just coming back to the Bibles and someone like Brother Andrew having lots of Bibles on his bookshelf. And uh, I know that there'll be listeners who think, well, I've got some Bibles that I rarely get off my bookshelf. In fact, I'm not even able to get into a real routine reading that Bible every day. But I wonder whether you've got any thoughts here on the power of this book, the Word of God, because in lots of nations around the world where there's very, very heavy persecution of Christian believers, one of the things that is outlawed is the Bible because the Bible is a threat. Uh, it's a subversive book to an authoritarian regime, and we don't often appreciate the power of what the Bible brings. I wonder if you've got any reflection on the importance and value of what we have in this revealed Word of God that sometimes we don't give uh, highest esteem to. Neil, the Word of God is like no other. I went to, I visited a country uh, in East Asia one time, and we went to a church, a local church, and met the pastor and his wife. His wife told us a remarkable story. She said, this husband, this husband of mine, the pastor of this church, was a drug addict. He came from a very good family, but he was a drug addict. And the Lord worked in his life and changed him. How did the Lord change him? Well, he developed the discipline of reading through the whole Bible twice a year. And so that church now is composed of ex-drug addicts 
And within their program, everyone is required to read through the Bible twice a year. And she told me that that is the best way for people to kick the drug habit. Because I asked her, I said, don't you have like uh, professionals who come in? She said, no, it's the word of God that changes the hearts and the habits of these people. When you're exposed to the Word of God, your life will change. There's actual research that will show that even if you don't even understand what you're reading, if you read the Bible four days out of seven, your life will will change. Uh, it's really, really, really powerful. On the political Amen. level, though, uh, say a nation like North Korea, which is there hovering at number one on your world watch list, uh, where if you are caught with a Bible... Uh, you can be executed and your family executed. It demonstrates, doesn't it, that the sort of change that comes about in the Bible is not accepted by authoritarian dictatorships. Oh, absolutely, Neil. Well, I think as just like we believers in Christ recognize the Bible to be the very word of God and recognize that the scripture has a power in it that comes from the Lord, I believe regimes like the one you have just described understand that, the power of the Bible to change human beings, but they don't want any other power other than their own. And as you know, in that country you've just uh, described, there is the worship of human beings, you know, founders of the nation and leaders of the nation. And, and in such a situation, you don't want a competing power. And so the Bible is very much a competing power, just like during the days of communism, when it was widespread in Eastern Europe, uh, the communists didn't want Brother Andrew smuggling in Bibles. And that's why they did everything to stop him and to stop other Christians who were smuggling in Bibles. They knew the power of that book to transform people intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, and they didn't want that competing power. Here in Australia, uh, it is becoming uh, more and more heated uh, for Christians who are in the public eye uh, because there is something of this competing power, because there's a rising up of uh, some ideological positions that uh, we might describe as uncomfortable, if not in the same categories as the 360 million who are under heavy forms of persecution. But for Australian believers who are starting to notice that things are getting a little hotter here, what do you, what's your encouragement, Dan, uh, to be able to hold firm to those biblical truths, those principles that actually give us the freedoms that we've, we've been talking about? Well, my encouragement to Australian believers is, is really a caution. Be careful. Don't stop reading the Bible. Because when you stop to read it, your worldview starts to get narrower. So read it. Read it in churches. Read it in homes. Believe what the Lord is saying. And I, secondly, I really think it's important that Australian Christians uh, do not imagine that uh, somehow, despite the shrinking space for acceptance of our faith in Christ, be, Australian Christians should not imagine that in any shape, form or whatever, our faith in Christ is going to die out in this nation. They are committed believers in Australia, people who pray and people, even if it's a remnant as small as Joshua's little army of 300 people, that is enough to accomplish God's purposes. When you have opponents of Christian faith that would like to see that faith die out, 
this is where an organisation like Open Doors becomes very important because it's not your brief to actually try and end persecution, but it's your brief, Dan, to try and encourage those who are in the midst of persecution. How does that fit and how does that feel as the organisation around the world is dealing with these growing issues of persecution, that you need to be there supporting those who are in the midst of it? Neil, one of the most probably surprising responses of persecuted Christians whenever believers in Christ from other countries visit them is what they say. They say, thank you for coming. We are so blessed to know that we are not alone and that there are thousands, millions of other believers in Christ who care for us and are praying for us. And so that that really gives a very clear picture of how the body of Christ should function. When one part suffers, the rest suffer with it. Now, that second bit of that scripture, the suffering, I think, means that we suffer in prayer. We suffer in recognizing they're in pain and we stand in the gap. It can be weary sometimes when you pray and you don't see a change. Neil, how many years have we been praying for Christians in North Korea? Decades. Have we seen any change in the way the government is structured? No. But we see a change in the faith of those believers. It's stronger. It's fresh. They go through hardships, but they are still standing. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line is open 1-800-316-316. An opportunity today to ask a question, make a comment about the global persecution of Christian believers. Uh, 360 million under heavy levels of persecution around the world. Our special guest leads the international operation of Open Doors. Dan Ole Shani is our guest. Dan, before we go any further, why don't we take a call? Mike is in Tasmania. Mike, welcome along. Uh, Good morning. Welcome, Dan. Uh, I have a comment about the Bible. It's a quote, I find nothing in the Bible about holiness and nothing in the world but worldliness. Therefore, if I live in the world, I'll become worldly. On the other hand, if I live in the Bible, I'll become holy. Mike, uh, outstanding comment there. Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts for Mike? Yeah, I've never heard that saying before, but I I think it is true. And therefore, Mike, uh, I praise the Lord for you and for your life and your firm belief in the power of the Bible. Uh, to make us holy. And God says, be holy as I am holy. So definitely that is the right aspiration in the right direction. Thank you. Mike. It was a comment from Smith Wigglesworth's book. Okay, Smith Wigglesworth. Fabulous. Mike, thank you so much for your insight. And uh, our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316, to join in our conversation, 1-800-316-316. And this is part of what Open Doors does, uh, getting Bibles into places where they are outlawed. That's not the only thing. Uh, When support comes through Open Doors, you're really often about keeping the doors of churches open. Uh, providing relief and aid to people in various nations where it's just blocked to them. Any thoughts here about the wider work of, of Open Doors here, Dan? 
Yeah, Neil, um, it's so true what you have said. Yes, we distribute Bibles uh, in various forms, whether digital or actual print copies. Uh, in fact, last year we distributed about 1.3 million uh, uh, both Bibles and other forms of Christian literature. It remains uh, very much central to the work we do. Uh, we do we do other work as well. So, for example, um, countries where Christians are de deliberately denied by their government uh, famine relief, famine food, uh, we come in and we actually provide that to the Christians who are marginalized and denied actually their 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 rights. Uh, we also uh, provide medicines in cases of injury from uh, attacks, beatings, visit those who are in prison, who have been jailed uh, for their faith in Christ, and we encourage them. If they don't have a Bible, we provide one. Uh, we also, Mike, at times provide uh, microloans to Christians whose businesses have been destroyed by others who are hostile to them because of their faith in Christ. So there's a fairly wide range of things like that that we do across the 67 countries of the world where we work. Is this one of the primary ways that regimes today, 21st century, actually have a foot in the door of persecution that says, uh, well, we're not stringing you up yet, uh, we're not putting you before a firing squad yet, uh, but we can deny you all of these benefits uh, that you would ordinarily get if you were bowing down to our government. Is this the way that 21st century persecution tends to work? That's one of the ways it works. Um, and so it's a basic denial of what we would consider human rights, uh, that any citizen of a country should merit or get. Uh, and it's a, it's a form of persecution, I think, that is particularly egregious because you look at others around you who are not Christians or might belong to whatever the dominant religion is, and they're getting all those benefits, all those rights, but you are being denied those rights simply because you are a believer in Christ. Now at the heart of it, Mike, is really what we call hostility to Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus is beautiful. The name of Jesus is marvelous. But to some people, the name of Jesus is actually a stumbling stone it is something they detest and they hate. And as a result, they persecute Christians who bear that good name of Jesus. It's challenging when you are a Christian believer and you have a love for the name of Jesus to recognize that there is an alternative uh, that is hostility and even hate. Now, that word hate gets thrown around a lot uh, in different uh, circumstances these days. Uh, it's a challenging word. Um, interesting, isn't it, when Christians are the ones who are considered to be hateful? And uh, there's a lot of places around the world now where, uh, where this uh, hate that we might have recognized is directed at the Christian believer. Any thoughts here around hate and the way that people loosely use that word these days? Yeah, well, the command of Jesus is very clear to us. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And in fact, Jesus said this is a second uh, greatest commandment. And so Christians have a duty, I should say, to obey the command of Christ and show love to others. But, you, but there are times when, because we also speak the truth, uh, because the Bible is a book of truth, God's truth, 
and God's truth is unchangeable. So when we speak the truth of what the Bible says in some situations, people interpret that as hate because that truth is challenging their lifestyle or maybe their belief. But we must never hold back from speaking the truth because it is what God expects of us. Let's take another call and our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Robin is in Springwoods in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. Hi, Robin. Welcome. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. This is, I'm a first-time caller. Um, I just got into the last part of uh, your talk uh, with Dan. Is it Dan? Yes, it's Dan. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, I was just so encouraged to hear him, to hear Dan say that we have been praying for the regime in North Korea for persecuted Christians for decades, and we haven't seen any obvious change except, and this was the encouragement, in the believer's faith, um, which is an encouragement to me to keep on praying for them, that they can remain strong and um, that they can grow in faith. And and I heard uh, just recently that I think in the prisons in Iran that there are little, where the persecution, where the Christians are incarcerated, that they are forming little church cell groups and um, they are having an impact within the prison uh, mm. bringing other people into the gospel to bring the gospel to them and bring them into the kingdom of the Lord. And and that is an encouragement to just keep on praying. We may not see this side of glory, the answers to our prayers, but the efficacy of our prayers will continue on in God's plan. Robin, wonderful insight there. Uh, a thought from Dan here, because uh, we went from North Korea to Uh, the happenings in Iranian prisons and the sorts of stories we might hear about even uh, biblical-based groups meeting within prisons, uh, the unstoppable gospel of Christ. Thoughts here for Robin? Neil, uh, I I love what Robin has said because she reminds me of the story of Paul and Silas in prison and how they were singing in prison. And if you were a prisoner in that prison and you overheard Paul and Silas singing what would have been the Psalms, it must have been such an encouragement to their heart and probably an eye-opener too to realize that this God is so loving, so caring. And so indeed those Iranian Christians who are telling others about Jesus, living in such a way that they're attracted Uh, to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless them. God strengthen them. And again, this is is so important to understand because those Christians in prison, like the ones described by Robin, are a tremendous encouragement to the rest of us who are not in prison, right? Because we say, look at their, their situation. They shouldn't be singing. They shouldn't be so full of joy, but they are. And so that encourages our faith, strengthens our faith. And Neil and Robin, really, this is why I believe it is so vital for the global church uh, to be connected together and for the body of Christ around the world that is not being persecuted to actually appreciate, welcome, and desire to know 
how the persecuted Christians are doing because their faith becomes an encouragement to our faith. Robin in Springwood, thank you so much for your call and uh, just a few moments out from going to news. Uh, But the thought that in the 21st century, uh, you're not just sending something uh, on a letter that takes two months to arrive. Uh, Things can happen instantaneously. The way we can connect with people, the way we can support. This is something that is a development too for 21st century technology, but supporting the persecuted church, uh, is it actually easier today than it's ever been, Dan? Definitely, Neil. It has. Dan, before we move on to any other more serious things, because I want to ask you about those emerging hotspots around the world where persecution is taking hold, perhaps for the first time or is really making a difference. But I wanted to ask you more about your personal story and what is it that led you into serving with Open Doors and then being elevated to this top role that you've got now? Yeah, thank you, Neil. Uh, I joined Open Doors in October 2017. Uh, I I thank God for joining this ministry. I did not know a lot about this ministry prior to that. I had seen an Open Doors prayer newsletter, uh, but I had never heard Brother Andrew, our founder, speak. I had never read God's Smuggler. So it's quite unusual, I think, Uh, that I ended up joining, but it's purely by the grace of God, by his calling, by his leading. Uh, So um, I I, I just thank God that I'm here. Uh, I I did have an interest in uh, particularly uh, Muslim areas or regions. I grew up with Muslims uh, as neighbors. And so I support, together with my wife, we, we gave our tithe regularly to support missionaries in Kenya uh, through our church who are working in Muslim areas, serving people, sharing the gospel, uh, showing the love of Christ. So I had this interest before I joined Open Doors, but it's a joy to be here, Neil. That's all I can say. It's a marvelous privilege. Dan, how large is the reach of Open Doors now around the world? When we talk about mind-boggling numbers, like 360 million Christians who are persecuted, uh, clearly there is a never-ending opportunity there for Open Doors to continue to expand. But how would we all think of uh, the reach of Open Doors as things stand at the present? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we estimate that we reach about between 7 to 10 million persecuted Christians. And the reason it's such a, it's an estimate is because actually counting, determining how you count how many people you reach is, is kind of tricky, right? Because if a person receives a Bible, gets a medical kit, uh, receives food assistance, how many times do you count that? Is it three times or is it once because it's one person? That's why, as I said, it's an estimate. But that's a large number of people, seven to 10 million. And Open Doors in its 65-year history uh, has grown in its reach. So we work in 67 countries uh, of the world presently where persecuted Christians live. And uh, we work through churches. They are our partners on the ground. we have fairly sophisticated ways of uh, getting money to them uh, to fund the needs that they have. And most importantly, we also have uh, partners who visit 
persecuted Christians. Because as I said earlier, the most important thing that persecuted Christians say to us is thank you for coming. It is marvelous to know that you are here. You have come this distance to see us and that you're telling us millions of Christians are praying for us around the world. And sometimes, you know, that is what makes sense to them about how they are able to endure the persecution they're experiencing, that many are praying for them. So your partners are the hands and feet on the ground in nations where there is this high level of persecution and you're the connecting point to what can be a resource that flows in from believers in nations like Australia and other nations that are not suffering these same levels of persecution, but the resources that can come from nations like ours get to find their way into these circumstances and support those believers who are bearing up under the burden of that persecution. Is that the way we ought to think of how it might work? If someone's going to send a few dollars to open doors, that's the way it works? Yeah, basically, that's the way it works. Now, let me just emphasize the most important thing is prayer. People give because they're inspired, they're motivated by understanding that a persecuted Christian is actually a member of their spiritual family. And God actually has set up the body of Christ in such a way that when one part suffers, the rest suffer with it. And so that act of giving and that act of prayer is participating in a way in the suffering. Like I could say from a distance. Now, can I just emphasize the role of prayer, Neil? Because it, it, we pray over our food. We pray for our children to win a sports competition, right? So we pray over many things. And we believe that those prayers work. When you pray for a persecuted Christian, what you're doing, what you and I are doing is we're saying, God, this is your beloved children. They are our family. We have one father and we're asking you to intervene in their situation, oh God, and especially to encourage them, especially to encourage them. I remember the example of Paul uh, given in Acts 4, where after Paul was beaten and left for dead in Lystra, the city of Lystra, uh, the disciples gathered around him, the Bible says. It doesn't say they prayed, but we can conclude they prayed because Paul was able to recover from a vicious and brutal stoning to a point where he went back to Lystra and spent the night. So in the same way, our prayers are like gathering around persecuted Christians, helping them to recover, to be revived spiritually. I wonder if there's a practical example, and I'm just thinking of those absolutely devastating earthquakes in Turkey and in Syria. And I know that the work of Open Doors is very strong in Syria, and a nation that has suffered so greatly, uh, not only under civil war that's happening there, but also with the uh, rise of ISIS, and that may have cooled a little, but with an earthquake that's just gone, and we're talking about how persecution happens, the withholding of uh, of official government uh, central aid and uh, and those sorts of things. How does the Open Doors experience work here? How can Aussies connect with the Syrian Christian believers who have been under such intense pressure? How does it all work practically in that sort of situation there, Dan? There are 50,000 Christians in the cities of Aleppo and Latakia. 
50,000 Christians, and that was at the epicenter of the earthquake in Syria. And these Christians desperately needed help. They were already persecuted. Now you have an earthquake that levels their schools, their apartment buildings, other structures for their common use. So we have targeted 25,000 out of the 50 for help. And how do we help them? It's through churches that we call centers or that call themselves centers of hope. And these centers of hope are providing blankets, medicines, also spiritual encouragement to people because when you've lost everything, what you need actually is encouragement that God will provide for you. So, so far we've been able to help 7,000 out of the targeted 25,000. We put out an appeal and therefore uh, even here in Australia, we put out an appeal and so remember the 50,000 Christians in Aleppo and Latakia who are affected by the earthquake. Well, and uh, listeners, are we able to support an appeal that is going for the nation of Syria right now uh, at the opendoors.org.au website? Dan, I want to ask you about emerging hotspots around the world. Because, as you say, you're working in 67 nations. Uh, there's a huge number of people under heavy persecution right now. Uh, what are the emerging hotspots that you can identify? Well, let me talk about Africa. Africa is where Christians experience the most violent forms of persecution. Uh, you name it, from torture to killings to rapes to burning to the ground of homes and granaries. It's very violent. And so actually we just launched a campaign. It's a global advocacy campaign. We call it Arise Africa. It is a God-sized task because our goal is to reduce the incidences of violence against Christians in Africa by creating awareness with governments, creating awareness with nonprofits, with churches, and and actually, uh, this last point I mentioned, Neil, this last word, churches, may surprise you, you know, because Africa has many churches. But when I joined Open Doors five years ago, I realized that many of the affluent churches in Africa don't really know about the persecution of Christians. They don't talk about it. They don't try to find out about it. And we also had not been as aggressive and intentional in telling them about it. So Africa is a major hotspot, Nigeria being the epicenter, I could say, of the violence because of the decades old conflict. Uh, uh, I wouldn't even call it a conflict, decades old persecution of Christians in the fault line between Muslims and Christians, North and South. Uh, Nigeria is where we uh, provide the largest share of budget for the work we do in sub-Saharan Africa. And so as you, as Christians in Australia, think about what to pray for, pray for this Arise Africa campaign to reduce the very violent nature of persecution in African countries. Of course, the good news in all of this, Dan, and I'll get your perception here, because of the huge growth of the Christian church in sub-Saharan Africa and uh, really revival levels of growth there, 
uh, that has seen the churches grow, but the conflict also grows with that because the conflict is with other religious organisations or groups, as you say, uh, the Islam-Christian conflict uh, that continues there in Nigeria, but in other African nations as well. But when we see the growth of the church at such dynamic rates and as estimated as many as 500 million Christian believers in Africa across the continent now, but the growth of the church is in some sense fueling the persecution. How do you deal with the, the, the challenges there, that we want to see the church grow? That is good news. But along with that comes this conflict and this turmoil. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, the, the and the African Church, I would add, is a very evangelizing church, very aggressive in promoting uh, the gospel, telling others about Jesus. So that too attracts its share of persecution. It becomes a competition, you could say, with other religions, which are also aggressively evangelizing religions. Islam is an evangelizing religion, so you could say there is a type of competition there. Uh, a Christian's response to the competition is not violence. It's not attacks. Uh, It's prayer, it's care, it's love. Uh, Whereas often the other religion, it's it's violence. Um, And it's not to say that everyone who belongs to that religion commits these acts of violence. There are others who commit marvelous works of care and love. Uh, I remember this reading this story in Nigeria in the BBC News of a Nigerian uh, religious leader who sheltered Christians who were fleeing from attacks and persecution from one village to his village. He sheltered them inside the mosque. And when the attackers came, he pleaded with them and said, let them go. And eventually they listened to him. So it's not everybody, Neil, who commits these acts of violence. But by and large, um, I would say that, uh, yes, it's because Christians in Africa are very evangelistic. They reach out, they preach the gospel. And I would also say that many from the other religions are turning to Christ. So the church is growing because of people from other religions coming to Christ, realizing that in Christ is where their joy and faith is. And for that, we praise the Lord and we encourage the believers in Christ in Africa to continue. So the church grows and so does persecution. And uh, here's where open doors plays such a vital role because where the persecution is continuing to be an effect on those believers, uh, this is the opportunity for people like us here in Australia uh, to be the connecting point for support as they go through it. And he's coming back to what we were saying a little bit earlier, uh, where the work of Open Doors is not about ending the persecution, but actually looking after the people who are going through that violence, that level of persecution. Some might say, well, why don't you just stop the evangelizing? Why don't you just stop the church growing? Hey, that's not for us to do, is it, Dan? That's a work of God. Absolutely. That's a work of God. You know, we one of our core values is that we believe in Jesus Christ and his commission, meaning his great commission. And therefore, uh, it would be going against the command of God to say, stop this evangelization. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And that's what the churches that we work with do. So we support them in that because they're fulfilling the great commission. But we come alongside them 
when they are persecuted to encourage and strengthen them and provide what they need to be able to continue in achieving the Great Commission. One thing to talk about hot spots, uh, another thing to talk about the ones where the persecution is well known. Uh, those big persecutors of Christians around the world, the World Watch list every year. Uh, we take time to talk about what's happening with movements on the World Watch list, the top 50 nations that are high-level persecutors of Christian believers. And then you narrow that down to the top 10. And uh, as you were saying, you've got on your own prayer list uh, something like the top 14 over the course of a week. But as you look at the top 10 list, uh, what can you let us in on, Dan? Uh, your thoughts about the movements there? I mean, Afghanistan is up there towards the top. Uh, there are all sorts of nations on that top 10 list. Uh, how do you describe movements that happen there and the intensity of the persecution on those nations who are in the top 10? Yeah, a few thoughts to share. Uh, first of all, not many would know this, but the Yemen church is the fastest growing church on the Arabian Peninsula. It's a small country, very small church, but it is the fastest growing, which is remarkable considering the state of the country, torn apart by conflict. Uh, the poor have become much poorer, but praise the Lord because he has a witness in that country through the rapidly growing church. The second thing is that seven out of the 10 countries on the world, top 10 countries on the World Watch list are Muslim majority countries. And the good news with that is that many Muslims are coming to know Christ, sometimes miraculously. The Lord appears to them in a dream, in bodily form, and speaks to them and invites them to follow him. Others are coming to know Christ through access to the online Bibles or Bible literature. Uh, some of them actually hosted by some of our partners. And so I thank God that uh, many, many are turning to Christ in these countries, even countries where uh, in the recent past it was not even possible to speak about Christians in those countries. Now, obviously, it's very dangerous. Uh, top 10 countries on the World Watch list, very, very risky, very dangerous for Christians. And, and access to them is also very risky, very dangerous if you're coming from outside the country. But for me, the encouragement is that God provides for his people in the country. I mean, you think of, you picked, you talked about Afghanistan, uh, hugely dangerous to be a Christian there, but God's providing for his people. He enables a help, assistance, encouragement, presence uh, to come to them. And, and so I'm being, you know, sort of deliberately general about this because obviously I'm very sensitive to saying anything that might also bring or attract danger and risk to the lives of those believers. Time is short. One more thought on the growing technology and surveillance of these nations that are high-level persecutors of Christian believers. It's not so easy to hide away in a safe house anymore when the authorities know your every movement. Any thoughts here on what happens with persecution in the world when the surveillance technology is reaching a peak and a prime as it is now? Oh, it's, uh, yes, it's uh, very pervasive. And of course, the country that leads the world in terms of those pervasive, invasive uh, surveillance techniques is China. Uh, 
the, the I, I am the government has its own reasons why it does this, but certainly the way it looks to a persecuted Christian in that country is that it's very invasive, very intrusive, uh, and and therefore it makes your daily life as a Christian very difficult, whether at home, whether at work, uh, whether in a public place, uh, and and it's a hard one to to address. Uh, because this is a government, it creates a policy, it puts in place the infrastructure, the tools, etc. cetera. Uh, but what I believe, Neil, is that even in the midst of massive surveillance, it is possible for such Christians to still maintain their faith. I think of the example of Daniel. He was rather bold, right? He was living in a country uh, at the time ruled by Nebuchadnezzar, and remember that he would pray five times with his window open. And his detractors reported it, right? Why did he pray with his window open? Why didn't he just shut it? Daniel, I think, wanted to really communicate to the whole world as a witness that his God is the Lord Almighty, the living God. And so there are some Christians who will be bold about it, despite the surveillance. And sometimes God blinds the eyes of the surveillance cameras. You, you probably know that Brother Andrew, when he would take Bibles across borders, he used to pray a prayer, Lord, make seeing eyes blind. And I believe that today Christians in such countries can play, pray that same prayer by faith, and the Lord can make those seeing cameras blind. We might be encouraged that Jesus himself is building his church and the gates of hell will not even prevail against it. And uh, Dan Oleshani, as we bring our conversation to a close, let me just point listeners to how they can connect with Open Doors, doing a magnificent ministry around the world. And uh, we are absolutely privileged, Dan, to have you on our shores. And I'm sure that over this past hour, you've made a few more friends for listeners connecting with Dan Ole Shani today, the Open Doors Australia website, opendoors.org.au. And Dan's encouragement is to pray for the persecuted church. We did mention an appeal to, just to mention that one more time, the response to the earthquake in Syria, uh, where the churches there are called Centres of Hope. And any support you give to Open Doors may be directed through that avenue as well to support those earthquake victims in Syria who, because of their faith, may be denied the relief and the aid that others in their communities are offered. Dan, just wonderful getting your insights. I want to thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy your stay here in Australia, but appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your heart with our listeners on 2020 today. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate it very much. Lord bless you. Vision. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.